That's good singing this morning. Welcome to worship. You can be seated, and it's good to see you this morning. Hopefully that uh, you've had a good morning so far. It's good to be here together. There's no other place I'd rather be than Central Baptist Church on a Sunday morning with God's people. You're my family, so we're, we're excited to be together on this Sunday morning uh, to worship the Lord through singing, giving, praying. We're going to look at what God's Word says And I don't know what kind of week you had, whether it's been a stressful week, a hard week, a joyful week. Maybe you had the greatest news in your life this week. Maybe you got the worst news in your life this week. But regardless, you're in good hands with not only the Lord Jesus Christ who is here with us this morning, but with God's people who love you. And so we're thankful to uh, just to be together on this Sunday morning. So if you're new with us, we want to welcome you to uh, Central. Um, We're grateful that you chose to join us and to be our guest today. You are our guest Uh, Those of us who are family and church members here this morning, if you look around, see someone you don't know, uh, maybe they haven't been here in a while, or they're brand new with us, or they've been visiting our church, I want you to make a point to go see them after the service, welcome them properly, and uh, make sure that um, uh, you get a chance to get to know them a little bit. Um, But this morning, um, if you are new with us, uh, there's a little guest card right there in the seat backs in front of you, I want you to pull that out. And also those of you who might have and want to make decisions in the service today um, and want to talk about church membership, salvation, you need prayer, you can write it on this little card. People will pray for you as well. Um, But fill that out during the service today. Drop that in one of the boxes by the doorways as you leave this morning, and uh, we'll follow up with you, okay? Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we're going to continue to stand and sing some more. Father, thank you this morning just for the promise, God, of your presence here today. Thank you for the power that, God, you promise is on display in our lives, not by way of what and who we are, but by way and and who you are, God. You have poured into our hearts your love. You have loved us. Lord, we were lost. We were cut off from you. Um, Lord, we were in a place of being completely desperate. And you stepped into our life because you loved us and you saved us and you rescued us from ourselves. Lord, we see so much chaos around the world today. But Lord, in you there is peace. In you there is joy. 
In you there is control because, God, you are a God who is in control. We are grateful to know you this morning, and we're here, Lord, to worship you. And so, God, would you bless this service? It would be all about you, Lord Jesus, that we would make much of you this morning and not of us. That, Lord, you would speak to us, you would guide us, and you would direct us. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing.
this morning, we know our hope is in Christ. We found that through his blood and through his death and resurrection. So let's sing about Christ and our hope that's found in his life. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my
Amen. You can be seated. We are going to pray together this morning in light of that truth. And so if you want to join me here at the front, come and make your way here to the front. We want to pray for one another this morning. And uh, we want to pray for our congregation. We want to pray for our community. We want to pray for our nation. Let's pray for the world as well. And uh, we're going to ask the Lord to put his hand of favor on us this morning. And we want to be a place where the light of Jesus is sung about, lived out, and proclaimed on a regular basis. And so let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to do that in us this morning as we pray as a congregation. Father, thank you this morning that we can sing these convictional truths. We can sing about the reality that, Lord Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. You alone give life. And yes, God, at times you break down and you tear down, but Lord, you're, the principle that you show us in the Old Testament that flows into the New Testament, Lord, is that you are a God of life and you bring life. And Lord, you have always been for us, for your people. You have always been, Lord, on the side of your people. To, Lord, see your people flourish, to see your people grow, to see your people become a people who love you, who worship you, who follow you. It was true in the Old Testament with the Israelites. It's true with us in the church here in the New Testament. Father, in this side of Jesus, you are for us. You've always wanted us to succeed, not for our sakes, but for your own. And this morning, God, we thank you this morning for the love that you have poured into our life, the reason we sing loudly, the reason we play, the reason we serve, the, we, the reason we are here today is because you've loved us. And God, what we're doing today, Lord, is an expression of our love towards you. And Lord, we know and understand that we don't love you just through our words and through our talents and through our giftedness, but Lord, we love you from the heart. You see our hearts this morning. You see what is in our hearts today. God, across this room this morning, across, Lord, those who are watching online, listening online, Lord, we are all sinners and we are all broken people. You see what's in our hearts. You see what we're struggling with. You see the hang-ups that we have, the things in our life, Lord, that are displeasing to you. And yet, God, you love us. And you wait for us to confess and repent of those things and come back to you and turn back to you because, God, you are a patient God. God who, Lord, waits for us to repent, waits for us to come back to you. You sustain us. For, Lord, we are not failures even when we fail. Even when we fail, Lord, to live the Christian life the way that you've called us to live it, we're not defined by failure. We're defined by Christ. And it's in you, Jesus, alone that we have our eternal life. We have this promise of an abundant life. And it is in you that, Lord, you empower us to live the Christian life. So, Lord, as we confess and repent of our sins this morning, we lay them at your feet. But we rise up in light of your good grace and your mercy upon our life and how powerfully, Lord, you have impacted our life through our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we want so badly for you, Lord Jesus, to be our Lord, to be the Lord of our community and the families in our community. We say, think about the people just within a few 
um, walking distance, just a few steps from our campus and, and a few minutes from our campus, Lord. And so many people, even in our community, are waking up this morning without no hope, without no joy, without, Lord, peace in their hearts. We know that, Lord, people in our community are lost. They're empty. They're living life, trying to make money and do jobs and raise families and go to school, and yet, Lord, so far from you. They need you, Lord Jesus. We have the hope. We sing of the hope. We talk to you and talk to one another about the joy and the peace that we have in our hearts, and yet this is what our community needs. This is what our state needs. This is what our nation needs. Father, it's what the world needs. All the chaos, all of the anger, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the struggle around the world, the lostness. Lord, we have the answer to that. And so, God, we thank you on the one hand for saving us. But, Lord, we also pray that you would, Lord, make us into a place that is bright and shining with the love of Jesus Christ, your Son. That we would be the light in this community. That we would be the light to our extended families. That we would be light in our state and around this country and around the world. God, we pray that your hand would be upon us. That we would, Lord, not only know of this gospel power that you promise us and that some of us in this room and many of us in this room have experienced, but that, Lord, we would be transformed by it daily. That daily we would understand and understand the gospel is not just something that gets us into heaven, but it is something that rearranges our life, that, that consistently tears down and builds up, makes us into our Lord Jesus Christ when we surrender to it and submit to the truth of your word. And so, God, we pray that on behalf of our own hearts, on behalf of the people around us. We pray for that, Lord, on behalf of those of us that are born again with this living hope because we do stand on Christ alone. You are our cornerstone, Jesus. You are the one who, Lord, that we want to make famous, the one that we want to amplify and follow in our life. And so would you do that work in us? Lord, we love you because we can come to you with for anything and with anything. Many of us have burdens this morning. We're laying them at your feet. And with, with this confident, encouraged, courageous manner, we stand up and we know we live in light of your power and your authority. We know that you have these things in your hands, these unanswered questions, these burdens, these challenges that all of us experience and face. And we rise up knowing that, Lord, you are in control of it all. And so we give these things over to you. We pray that your hand would be upon our, our service today that, Lord, you would speak to us, Lord, through your word, that you would guide and direct our steps, that you would shape us into the men and women, the teenagers, the children that you've called us to be, that you would shape our church into the church that you want it to become as we take steps of obedience, steps of faith towards you in every area of our life. God, that you would manifest your presence in us and in our, in our midst this morning, that you would lead us down the pathway of righteousness, right thinking, right living, that God, you would, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. We ask you to do this work in us today, God. Would you bless the time that we have in your word this morning? Would you speak to us and give us faith to respond? 
We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. I hope you're doing well. I want to encourage you to take a Bible and this morning, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians once again this morning after a very short week last week, a break, if you will, something God is really kind of moving in me about and, and really wanting to move in our church about. We're going to kind of continue what we're talking about, but we're going to do that in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 27 this morning. And so I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Our text today is going to come from Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27 through verse 30. I think all of us in our lives want to have and make an impact with our lives. I mean, I think young people, and let me give you a little secret for those of you who are older, this younger generation, this generation, they call them Gen Z, they want to make an impact on the world. Among this generation, the generation they call Gen Z and younger, okay, college age on younger, in this generation, it is the greatest level of students who are the nuns, not in U-N-S, in S, in O-N-E-S, meaning that when polled, when they ask about what religious affiliation you have, they say none. It is the largest generation that our country, our world, our civil, our world has ever seen, our nation has ever seen, where the largest percentage of those who were not raised under Christianity, not raised under any religious system, they say we don't have a religious system. And yet, when polled, this generation will tell you that they want to make an powerful impact on the world. They want to change the world. And what better thing, and what an opportunity that we have to share Jesus with those who in this generation can embrace that because the gospel is what changes the world, isn't it? And that's what... That's why we're seeing across this country, among student camps, among uh, generations, um, among student groups across this can- can- uh, country right now, a significant revival among young people. Because they're coming to faith in Jesus. Their homes are broken. Moms and dads have been broken up. They've experienced all sort of suffering and difficulty in their life, and they want to make a difference in the world. They want to make an impact in the world. But you know how I know that for all of us, we want our lives to matter. We want our lives to have purpose and meaning because I've sat with enough folks at the end of their life when they begin to to, to understand and to know that, that so many of us look back on our lives and we begin to ask those questions of ourselves. Did my life matter? Did the decisions that I make matter? The legacy that I'm leaving. So whether we're younger or whether we're older, the fact of the matter is we want our lives to matter. We want our lives to have purpose and meaning. The fact of the matter is when we think about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what, that's what matters. God changing and transforming human lives. Most of us want our lives to matter, and I think that's what the Apostle Paul is referencing here in Philippians 1, because he's talked about his own life at the beginning of chapter 1, but he's going to come here toward the end of chapter 1, and he's going to point to the Philippian church, to the Philippian Christians who make up that church, and he's saying, listen, I want your life to matter. I think that's what Paul is tapping into. With your Bibles open, I want you to just look with me at what it says in Philippians 1. 
I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. I'm not sure what version of the Bible you have, but, but follow along with me as, as I read. This is what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Only let your manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Think about verse 27 and verse 28, the beginning of verse 28. Paul's talking about, and he's laying out the course of their lives. He's saying, listen, church, you need to let your life be live, lived in such a way that it is emulating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why he says, and only let your, the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. We need good news. I think about the world today. And what's happening in our world today is unprecedented in many respects, isn't it? When you turn the television on, when you open up your smartphone and you just begin to read through and so you scroll through social media or you whatever form and fashion you get your news from, it is the world is burning right now. The country is burning right now, is it not? It's literally chaos. It's chaos in our government in Washington. It is chaos around the world. We hear of wars. We see suffering. We understand that all of these things are taking place around the world, yes, in other countries and wars on different fronts. All of these things are happening, but we also see in our own country, we see crime on the rise, crime rampant, people going into convenience stores and just ripping things off the shelves and running out the door and no one cares about it. We see and we hear what's taking place down at the border where we have millions upon millions of people flowing across our border. We have no understanding of what's going on. It is, it is chaos right now. Not only in our country, we see chaos around the world. So many, for many of us in this room, we see chaos in our own families. Mom and dad not getting along, splitting up, angry. We, we, we see the debilitating disease that crushes us or that news that we have this disease or that news that we have this or that that brings so much turmoil, so much destruction upon our life. World's a mess. Families are a mess. All of these things are there. That's the bad news. All of these things, expressions of the human heart that we see in the lives of individuals turning away from God and following what, what they want to follow. We need Jesus. There's no other better time in the world today than understand that we need Jesus Christ. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, that is the hope. That's the hope for the Middle East. It's the hope for Eastern Europe. It's the hope for America. It's always been the hope. It's always been and the fact of the matter is what God does is he steps into our life and he transforms us and he changes us. He heals us. When you enter into that relationship with him, God transforms your heart. He transforms your marriage. He transforms how you parent your kids. He transforms you as a student. He transforms you as a child. He transforms you as a single adult or a, a widow, a newfound season of life you find yourself in called widowhood that you never thought you'd have and you understood what life is like now. It is the gospel transforms our life. Jesus Christ steps into our life and we become part of this Christian community. That's what Paul is saying. 
In verse 27, he says, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, Paul, whether he's there or whether he hears of the Philippian church, he would hear that they are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, this is what Paul says to the Philippians. They were changed by Jesus. And a life that is changed by Jesus stays true to the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't waver, it doesn't drift, but it stays true to what we have been changed by. This is what Paul is saying to the church. He's not saying here, listen, hey, hey, Philippian church, you know that gospel that changed your life and you know you, knew, you found Jesus now? Well, don't look like the world. Look more like Jesus every single day. Become more and more like Jesus every day. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay true. It's a life changed by Jesus, a life that stays true to the gospel. And if that's the case, then what God calls us to do in this text this morning, as we think about this at the end of chapter 1, that we're to stay true to the gospel, and that requires faithful Christianity. How we live our life, faithful. We're going to unpack that this morning because Paul unpacks that for the church. Remember, Paul's in prison, isn't he? He's not walking around freely, drinking and sipping a cup of coffee at a cafe somewhere. (laughs) Paul is in prison. He's under arrest. He's under arrest under the authority of the Roman government, the Romans who are overseeing his life. God, at the same time, could have released him, but he didn't. God could have taken away his, 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 uh, um, him being imprisoned, but he didn't. Instead, God, at the same time, is in control. And what has Paul's already said to us? What has Paul already said to the church here in Philippians 1? His aim is not that you, Philippian church, would pray for my release. He doesn't say that. No, he's more concerned about his own testimony. That even though he is locked up, even though he is at a place that God is in control of his life and he finds himself locked up, he wants to maintain this testimony. He wants to maintain a testimony that honors God and that impacts the lives of others. But what does he say to the church from a distance, from his position of being in prison? Your aim, church, is to live worthy. Your aim is to live for Jesus. Your aim is to live worthy of the gospel. And that's what the, God, that's what the Lord wants from our lives. And if that's what the Lord wants from our life, then listen, this is what God says. That's going to involve several things. It's going to involve recognizing this sign of victory that we have. I want you to look look at it with me here in the text. This sign of victory that God has given us that we are in this position of living worthy, of remaining faithful in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, look at what he says in verse 28. In verse 27, I'll back up to there. He says, only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Jesus or Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And here it is, ready? And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul says, live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, Stand, be fearless in the way that you live your life for Jesus, in the way that, that you walk with Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, in the wake of, in the face of those who may oppose you, who may oppose your way of life, who may oppose the things that you think and the values that you instill, the, the convictions that you have in your heart. 
What I want to remind us of, and I think Paul's reminding the church here in Philippi, is that Christianity is not a private faith, but it is a very open faith. It is a, it is a very public faith. It's a public demonstration of the power of God. We can't go from Sunday to Sunday without the power of God transforming our life from one day to the next because we are the display case of Jesus Christ to this community. We are the display case of Jesus Christ when you step on that, that place in your life where you're around and, 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 and influencing people around you. Whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're going to Walmart, you are displaying the power of Jesus Christ around you. And in the wake of opposition, Paul says to the church in Philippi, you stand up courageously without fear. But here's how you stand up. This is how you do so without fear a church together. Now watch this. Remember, this is what Paul has already said in verse 27. He says, stand firm in one spirit at the end of that verse with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is standing worthy and living worthy of the gospel of Jesus and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now watch this. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. As a church together united gives a united front defending and proclaiming the gospel because it is a display place, place of Jesus Christ in our community. We live with one spirit. We walk together as one. It sends a message. When a church is united, when a church is united around what it believes, when a church is united around what we stand for and how we live our lives together, then it is a clear sign to those who are opposing Christianity that they're on the wrong side, which is what he says in verse 28. They're on the wrong side. It's proof or it's evidence that whatever opposition to Jesus that you may experience or face from your own spouse who may be lost at home or maybe from a student at school or maybe from a neighbor who doesn't really want to talk about Jesus Christ and who may oppose you and your way of life and your way of thinking, it is actually a sign that they're on the wrong side. You see, when their enemies saw, when their enemies saw what was taking place among the Philippian church, it was a sign of their destruction. It was proof that it was failing. And this is what Paul says to the church. It was a sign that God was saving and would continue to save the people of God in Philippi. I think of an example of this in Acts chapter 4. We've got a great example of this because what happens after Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he, he then goes back to heaven the church is born in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, we see the opposition take place among God's people. Among the, the uh, believers of Jesus Christ, they pray for boldness. And over in Acts chapter 4, beginning in, or in verse 13, it says this, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And then later in that chapter, it says in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They opposed the movement of Jesus Christ, the, the movement of, of, of the gospel being spread and proclaimed in that community. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together, the church did, to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, 
who through the mouth of, the fa- of your father, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is verse 27, it says this. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants uh, to, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and, and perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It was a clear sign to those who were opposing Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, to, to Peter and John. It was a clear sign that they were on the wrong side of this. Paul says to the Philippians, don't be afraid. But stand up in the face of that by way of your unity as a congregation. It is proof that God is saying, saving you. It is proof that your opponents will fail. Listen, this is which is why our spiritual enemies do everything to destroy the church of the living God. The spiritual enemies, spiritual things will, will do everything to get you and I focused on self over the Lord. Don't allow him to. Don't allow the Lord, don't allow Satan himself, don't allow spiritual enemies to step into your life and to pull you into being self-absorbed and self-centered and focused on your personal preferences and things that you want for your life as opposed to what someone else wants and what the Lord wants. Focus on what the Lord wants and don't allow him to step in and tear us apart. A church fearless and united will astound the world. A church fearless and united will send a clear sign to those who oppose it. In spiritually challenging situations, listen, those are opportunities to display the power of Christ in your heart. So let's be faithful. We can be faithful. It's a clear sign of victory. We need to recognize this sign of victory. But for the time being, listen, we need to expect and understand what Paul is saying here to the church, that we will face and you will face seasons of suffering. That's what faithful Christianity leads to. When you are faithful to live out the Christian life, there will be seasons of suffering in your life. This is why Paul says to them in verse 29, look at it with me. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you shall not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This isn't just isolated to the Philippian church. This is for all Christians. Because how you live your life and how you think, listen, is countercultural. You know that, right? If you take a stand for biblical marriage, that's countercultural. If you take a stand and say to those around you that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, and I'm not talking about the American Jesus or casual Christianity in the sense that, oh, I can just follow Jesus and live, the way, live my life the way I want to live it. If you step out in faith and you begin to say, no, Christianity calls us to, following Jesus calls us to, living a life that is distinct and different in how we speak and how we live our life, how we spend our time, how we manage our life, that's going to be countercultural. But when you do that, we just need to understand that adversity is part of the Christian life. It just is. 
Anytime you step out in faith and you follow Jesus, there's going to be this adversity that exists in your life. You should expect it. But I want to encourage you that there are two benefits, if you will, two privileges that Paul points out for the church in Philippi. Look at them again in verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you, meaning this is a gift, it has been granted to you two things, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe. In other words, you believe on him and you suffer for him. These are blessings. These are benefits. I'm going to explain and unpack what Paul's saying, because what is he saying? What's he talking about here? Suffering for Jesus is actually a gift from God. It's an act of God's grace. And I mean, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, it is granted to you. It is actually granted for you in verse 29. For the sake of Jesus, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians were simply suffering for Jesus. It's the same for us. And so we understand that it's an act of God's grace. God does not give bad gifts to his people. Let's explain, understand what what God's talking about here. It's not that you go looking for suffering. It's not that you go look for someone to treat you badly or to reject you. But it's when you just simply live out the Christian life, it's actually an honor. And what Paul is saying to the Philippians, it's actually an honor when someone does treat you poorly because they treated Jesus much worse. It means you're doing the right things. It means you're saying the right things. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to be on your side. In fact, most are going to reject us, but it's actually an honor in every respect. Paul says three times he references Jesus in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that what? For the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him and also suffer what? For his sake. This is all about Jesus. If you make your life about yourself and experience difficulties and suffering and and rejection, then that's about you. I've met many Christians and many Christians who, in the name of following Jesus, just want to be jerks about following Jesus to other people. And they make it about themselves, but if you just simply live the Christian life and consistently live it in the lives of others, God is going to use that to impact and influence the lives of, of many. He's also going to, it's also going to be countercultural, and there's going to be opposition against you. And that comes in form, various forms or fashion. Jesus told us himself to expect it. Over in John chapter 16, verse 33, look at this verse. It says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. But this is what Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. I love what Jesus says. He, al- he always gives us the bad news, but then he, on the back end, always gives us the good news. He says, yeah, there are going to be tough days. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be difficult seasons in your life, but take heart. Because I've overcome the world. He tells us in Matthew chapter 5, this incredible passage there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. It reminds us, and Jesus reminds us of this in the Beatitudes. He says this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things falsely on your account. Rejoice and be glad, there it is, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Paul never complained about his persecution. Paul never complained about bad days. Paul never complained about adversity. He never complained about suffering. He saw it as a way in which that was an affirmation, affirmation that he was living the right way, that he was saying the right things, that he was trying to live his life counterculture, countercultural, and he suffered not because of who he was, he was suffering on behalf of Jesus Christ. And that's why it becomes an honor. It becomes a blessing from God. You see, it displays the power of God in every respect. It displays and it promises an eternal reward. Love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Love this verse. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Oh, it may be difficult at times to live for Jesus at school or at work or in your family, but rejoice because in the end, Jesus wins. You're rejoicing, your reward is in the end. God's sustaining grace in our life is what, what matters. He gives us this assurance that you belong to Jesus Christ and that salvation is waiting in the end. God's grace is in your life, so don't worry. Be faithful. That's all we want is to be faithful. Expect it. It's okay. Jesus suffered. It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. It's a sign that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering isn't going to be a reality in the Christian life. Adversity comes. Difficult seasons come, not by way of people, but by way of spiritual things that are consistently attacking you in your life, that this adversity is going to come. That's why you need the encouragement. You need encouragement in your life, not only from the Word of God, but listen to me. You need encouragement from other people. You need to be people alongside you, walking with you, consistently cheering you on to live the Christian life, which is why Paul says at the end of verse 30, check this out. He says this at the end of this chapter, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You see, faithful Christianity leads us to this understanding that we find courage by walking by faith alongside other people. Paul knew that they would experience struggling days. He knew that it would not be easy in Philippi when the vast majority of the people in Philippi didn't follow Jesus. There was no casual Christianity, and what I mean by that is this. If you follow Jesus Christ, that was like a lightning rod in your life. It wasn't popular. And he knew that people would oppose them. He knew that people did oppose them. But he said to them, listen, take heart. You, first and foremost, look to me. Paul's told him to look to him, not out of ego, but because he was trying to live the Christian life. He was modeling for them how to live that life that God called them to live as well. He said to remember me. Those in the church were eyewitnesses to Paul's suffering. Think about it for a moment. Oh, Lydia and the ladies around the, 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 the water that day, the, the little slave girl who had been misused and abused and was a, a slave of men who were just taking, taking advantage of her who came to Christ. That Philippian jailer and his wife and those kids, they got a front row seat to watch Paul suffer. Thrown in prison, they got a front row seat to watch Paul take the biggest beating of his lifetime in Philippi there at the Bema, there before the authorities of the city of Philippi. They watched it. They saw it. They knew about it. They also saw how he responded to it. They saw how he responded with humility and with strength when people rejected him. 
when people said no to him, when people became physical towards him. I want to remind us that if what an incredible tactic of the enemy is to cause us to doubt, to grow discouraged, to cause us to question, to cause us to, to be a place where we feel silenced. We feel like if I speak up, if I speak out, if I live this way, if I live out, if I say I believe in this or I don't believe in this, that it's going, then I'm going to incur this wrath, if you will, of the people around me. That's a tactic of the enemy to get you to a place of being silent in the way that you live your life. I'll be a Christian as long as I'm a Christian here at church and I'm a Christian in my home. But when I go into my community, when I go to my school, when I go to my place of business, it, they may know I'm a Christian, but they may not hear I'm a Christian. They might not see that in my life. Now that's a tactic of the enemy. Here's what I want to remind you of this morning. You need the church. You need brothers and sisters around you, encouraging you. You need the word of God in your life. You need his word consistently around your life and in your life, building you up and encouraging you to live the life that God's called you to live. Here's what that does. The, the church of the living God and the word of God counterpunches the enemy's work in your life. It brings about a counterpunch to his onslaught in your life. You step away from the world and you stop living for yourself and you stop following, following Jesus Christ, start following Jesus Christ with your life, Satan comes in all facets to attack you. But the word of God and the church in your life is the counterpunch to his work in your life. And you need it. You need those people alongside you, encouraging you and building you up. You need that encouragement that you're not alone and that you're in the same arena. You're running the same race toward the same God. You're experiencing the same struggles and you're moving in the same direction. When we're walking by faith in Jesus Christ, that tough days are going to happen. There's going to be difficult seasons that happen. But when you come together with God's people, we're in the same arena. We're running the same race towards the same Jesus. We're trying to live for Jesus in the same way right? And we're running towards the same heaven. We're running to the end. And therefore, we need each other. That's why we need to be together. That's why we need to be around people who are also walking faithfully towards the Lord. Faithfulness is being an encouragement to others. It's living in a position to be encouraged by others to, who live for Jesus as well. That's what faithfulness is. A few years ago, Christina she doesn't know I'm going to tell you the story. It's okay. But a few years ago, Christina ran a marathon. I'm not running marathons, but she ran a marathon, and she trained weeks, months for this marathon. This was no ordinary marathon. It was on Surfside Beach of all places. You know where that's at? South of Galveston. It's literally you get on this sand, and you run miles, and you turn around, and you run back. No, thank you. <laughs> but she ran this marathon with a couple friends of hers. And there we were. The boys were very were young at that point, and so we had the van, and we were there for moral support. But I watched her train for this, and I watched her you know, train hard for this race, and she finished it. But as she started out, it was a cold, misty, rainy morning of all, of all times and all seasons. She runs it when it's cold outside. And there she is on this beach, and she's running with a pack. And then an hour later or so, 
She finds herself, there's maybe one or two other people around her to the point where about halfway through the race and on to the end, she's running by herself on this long, deep beach as far as she can see back and forth. And the people who are left running the race are all scattered. They're all on their own. And it's all about just grinding it out. And so there we are, providing moral support. She calls me in the middle of the race. Yeah, calls me in the middle of the race. Her hands were bright red because it was so cold. She needed some sort of glove. So we drove about 30 minutes away and we found these fishing gloves. It's this little tackle shop, bait shop. We ran all the way back out there and we drive out onto the beach. And here we are driving next to her, providing moral support. And we give her these fishing gloves and she's running her race. But I want to tell you this morning that what God showed me that day and what God has since reminded me of that day is that's the Christian life. I mean, running in difficult seasons, running through difficult, a difficult place. I just want to remind us this morning that the Christian life is not a sprint, it is a marathon. It is living day after day, week after week, month after month, season after season, because all of our lives walk and move through different seasons in our life. You may have given your, your life to Christ when you were younger, and since then to where you are now, you've walked through six, maybe four or five different distinct seasons in your life. You were married then, and you had kids, or you were single then, you didn't have a spouse, and then you were in this season of life called marriage, and then you've been in this season of life called raising kids, and then you're in this season of life where you're empty nesters now, and you're trying to live your life as retirees, and you're traveling to the point where now you may find yourself in a season where you're alone, and your spouse now has since passed on, and you were married 40, 50, 60 plus years, and now you're in a new season of life. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint, but finish. Walk faithfully with him. Live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, yes, the ones we see in Scripture, but those who are sitting around you, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Your race may be in a few hours. Your race may be in a few years. Your race, your race may end in, in, in 50 years from now, but you're running that race. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith, of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, along the way, we live this Christian life. We're called to be faithful. Stay true to it. Stay true to the gospel this week, tomorrow morning, whatever place that God puts you, stay true to it. Speak up, speak out, live courageously, expect adversity to come, but look to people who are walking alongside with you and allow your life to live faithful to the very end. That's what God wants for your life. That's what God wants for my life. And if that's all he wants you to do, stay true to the gospel by living faithful. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. You know, as we come to the time in our service here where we respond to what God says, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are right now in your spiritual life. I know about some of you. I know some of you in the room are experiencing and facing some very difficult things in your life. 
I know some of you in the room are experiencing addictions, things that you can't get rid of in your life. I know some of you are experiencing a lot of pain in your life right now. I know some in the room who are not here in the room who are experiencing a lot of that. I know some of you this morning are living a life where you're just not sure about your salvation. Some of you this morning know you're not followers of Jesus yet. Jesus to you is a casual friend. Church to you is a destination you just casually show up to when you go home from and you hear a sermon here or there. But it's not a passionate walk towards Jesus Christ. Some of you are experiencing a lot of pain in your life because of life circumstances that you have no control over. There's a lot of things going on in this room I know about, and there are more that I don't know about. But I know the one who does know. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord knows everything about your life because he created you in his image. You weren't made by accident or made by chance. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, David said in Psalm 139. He knows you. He knows where you are this morning. And I can assure you this, that he's calling you to a life of faith, not just of what you believe, but how you live your life. So this morning, as we come to this time of response, I'm going to ask a few of our folks that are just going to come up, and they're going to be here at the front alongside me. And um, what I want to ask you to do this morning is if you're struggling with something, someone, if you just want prayer to have courage, confident to live the Christian life, you come forward. They're willing to pray for you. They're ready to pray for you. If you have any decisions that you want to make, maybe you just need help in your marriage and you need to decide today's the day we're going to get this right. Maybe today God's leading you to give your life to Jesus. If you're wondering about that, then he is. Maybe God's speaking to you about baptism or joining our church. We've got lots of decisions today that God is speaking to many of us about, <clears throat> but it takes courage to respond. <clears throat> so don't stand there. Don't just listen another Sunday. Come forward and get these things dealt with in your heart and in your life. You just need prayer over any matter. An individual that you've been praying for for some time, you need another brother or sister to pray alongside you over the salvation of someone or someone's addictions, someone who's walked away from the Lord for some time, you need prayer for that, come forward. Our brothers and sisters in Christ that are here in this church are willing to pray for you. And there is power when God's people pray. I can assure you that. So let me just pray for us. And then I'm gonna ask those who come forward, they're gonna lead us, or they're gonna come forward and they're gonna receive you if you wanna come forward. And then uh, we'll sing and we'll worship him. God, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, as we always believe in it and thank you for it. God, we just pray for this time that, God, you'd speak to us, you would give us courage. And whether in the balcony or whether we're down below, that, Lord, we would say yes to you and respond. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll be here at the front. If you'd like to come forward for prayer, for a decision, you have the courage to come.
You can be seated this morning, and uh, listen, I'm always available after the service if you want to come and be prayer for any matter and uh, help in any area, decision in your life, uh, but um, it's been good to be together this morning um, with the Lord. This morning, just want to mention a couple very quick announcements. First of all, we have a membership class today that'll be right at the conclusion of our service right through these doors, right across the hallway. And uh, I'll be meeting you over there at 11 a.m. We've got several that are already signed up to come to that. And if you're here and you are considering joining Central, you want more information about Central, or if you're in the process of joining Central, that's what that class is for. And so we want to encourage you to to take part in that. It'll be right at 11 o'clock. We'll be out of here by noon. Don't forget we have our fall festival coming up. It is coming up very soon. When? Next Sunday. June, uh, sorry, October the 29th from 4 to 6 p.m. We're going to have a great time together. But uh, in lieu of that also, or not in lieu of that, but also attached to that, we're going to have um, a little, a sh- very short blitz in our community. We're going to go out in our community at 10 a.m. this coming Saturday morning. And uh, you can meet right over at the Family Center, right across the street. We'll meet there very quickly. You'll have a little card. And we're just going to go right out here in our community, invite our neighbors right around our church to come to our fall festival Um, which would be the very next day on the 29th, okay, at 4 o'clock. We still have opportunities for you to serve. We still need people to serve in certain areas. And and so you can see Heather Wiggins. You can also see Francie. and They can point you in the right direction of where you need to go for that, okay? So I wanted to mention that this morning. Don't forget, we have our midweek classes and events going on. We have a men's class that's starting this Wednesday night in the same room, men, that we've been uh, meeting in upstairs in in the children's building over there as well as our ladies' Bible study classes, our students, our children this coming Wednesday night, okay? All right, last thing I want to mention is that's our giving. So we want to give this morning uh, both our tithes and our offerings to the Lord's work here at Central and through Central and uh, impacting the world, okay? And so we have great opportunities for you to uh, uh, impact the world both locally as well as around the world through mission organizations and things we're giving to. And so let's give faithfully this morning both our tithes and then over and above our tithes to our offerings that we, uh, we have from time to time. This morning as we leave today, the boxes by the doorways you can give here this morning um, uh, as a congregation, or you can give online, or you can drop it off at the church office, okay? So let's, uh, let's pray over those offerings before we leave today. Father, thank you this morning for the time we've had to worship you and the opportunity we've had to be in Bible study already at the 815 hour. But Lord, we also thank you for the Bible study hour at 11, and we just pray for your blessing on our small groups as they meet, and uh, just pray that your hand would be upon each one. Um, Thank you for our ministries, Lord, both on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout the week. We just pray that your blessing, God, would be upon each one. Uh, We give you these tithes. We give you these offerings, Lord, as an act of worship. 
we give to you. We know that, Lord, we want to give generously. We want to give willfully. We want to give, Lord, with joy in our hearts. So, God, as we give to you, we pray that you would multiply them and that, Lord, you would use them here in our church and around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much. Have a great day.